Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs marvel at how much you can make by suing McDonald's. We discover inappropriate gifts fans hurl at rock stars. We offer a tribute to the late Alan Arkin. We reflect on the wonders of elephant yoga. And we bring you another wildly popular edition of Stump the Older Old Dog. The Old Dog's conversation is with Jackie Dryden, a much-lauded advertising executive who turned her talents to helping parents understand their kids. Stay with us. Hey, Jim. Yes, sir. I've got a hot one here. Uh, This is from the (laughs) New York Times. Let me read this. A Florida jury awarded $800,000 in damages to a seven-year-old girl on Wednesday for the suffering and mental anguish caused when a chicken McNugget fell on her thigh, causing a second-degree burn. You are kidding me. That's the, that's the truth here. You got some thoughts on it? Oh, well, uh, okay, first of all, sympathy for the kid, all right. But uh, 800000 bucks. Yeah, really? really? You'd think the only damage a McNugget could do is eat it. <laughs> that's um, that's long-lasting. It says it's a second-degree burn. Now, yeah. you know, a second-degree burn is something you can treat at home. Really? Yeah, with with think. what? Uh, well, with Neosporin and a Band-Aid. How know? much could, How much Neosporin could you buy for 800000 bucks? Just speculate uh, well, yeah, You probably would just uh, move to Florida. You, you guess, corner the market, beachfront, maybe. Beachfront property. Hmm. But, uh, but uh, that's it kind of seems excessive, don't you think? Well, yeah, like a lot of lawsuits. I don't know how they get awarded that much money. Who's, who's doing that awarding? I want to get in line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, all this talk made me kind of hungry. Mm. Jim, what do you think? Mm, how about McDonald's? <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> For years, it was understood that undergarments were the proper thing to toss to a rock star during a concert. Ah, but the times, they are a-changing. This pod nugget is from Sky News for June 27, 2023. Now, I'm sure none of our mature adult listeners ever toss their underoos at a rock star, but they may have witnessed it, in which case they may be interested in how the custom has changed. Nowadays, concert attendees are getting more creative with their tosses. Airborne gifts have ranged from bracelets to earrings to water bottles, and the most inventive missile arrived during a concert by the singer Pink. Pink was performing as part of the British Summertime Festival in London. In the middle of her hit song, Just Like a Pill, a bag of human ashes was thrown onto the stage. Pink stopped the song and picked up the bag. She then asked the fan, "Uh, Is this your mum? (laughs) The fan nodded yes. And then Pink added, "Uh, I don't know how to feel about this. She then put the bag down and finished her song. It's unknown why the fan brought his mother's ashes to the show, but if his purpose was to attend one more rock concert with his mum, she had the best seat in the house for the rest of the concert. Recently, there was a debate on social media about the proper storage for a ketchup bottle. 
This may not seem like an important debate, but for some folks, it was worth a tweet or two. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for July 3rd, 2023. Heinz's American brand has previously said that ketchup is shelf-stable because of its acidity. Ah, but the bottles also carry these instructions. For best results, refrigerate after opening. Yeah, this would seem to be an argument for refrigeration. Well... On the other side, folks argue that refrigeration is optional, and it is counterintuitive to put cold ketchup on hot food. This view was reinforced by rapper Cardi B, who tweeted, People who put their ketchup in the fridge are not to be trusted. The debate has raged on, with an unofficial tally of 63% for the fridge and 37% for the shelf. Last week, the UK branch of Heinz seemed to settle the issue when they tweeted, FYI, ketchup goes in the fridge. So, we can now move on to a much more important issue. What goes on a hot dog, mustard, or ketchup? Well, the correct answer, of course, is mustard, which should also be refrigerated for best results. Wouldn't you agree, Paul? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Ellen Arkin, one of our favorite character actors, died recently at the age of 89. In his career, he created an amazing range of roles in many memorable films. This pod nugget is from the New York Times for June 30th, 2023. He was relatively unknown when he was cast in the Broadway comedy Enter Laughing. He won a Tony, and the show ran for a year and a half. This led to another starring role in Love. After his two Broadway successes, he headed for Hollywood. His first movie role was as a Russian submarine commander in the offbeat comedy The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, which led to a series of roles that established him as a man of a thousand accents. But he soon became even better known for his hapless everyman characters. An example is the bombardier Yossarian in the movie Catch-22, who was desperately looking for ways to avoid combat. A reviewer noted that Mr. Arkin projects intelligence with such monomaniacal intensity, he is both funny and heroic at the same time. While he was a brilliant actor, Arkin preferred directing. He never got caught up in the celebrity lifestyle. He published a memoir called An Improvised Life, and in the book he reflected on his chosen profession. He noted that a lot of actors are better at pretending to be other people than they are at being themselves. When things get tense, when I start taking my work a bit too seriously, I remind myself that I am only pretending to be a human being. <laughs> aren't, aren't we all? I was going to say the same thing, <laughs> Paul. <laughs> Elephants in captivity have shorter lives than elephants in the wild. To help them stay in good health, the Houston Zoo uses yoga exercises. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for June 7, 2023. Elephant yoga doesn't feature mats, meditation, or large yoga pants. But three times a day, the pachyderms go through exercises that stretch or flex muscles that aren't ordinarily used in captivity. Zoo staff start teaching elephants introductory exercises when they turn four months old. Eventually, the animals are trained to respond to voice cues to initiate the various moves. After they perform a move, trainers give them a treat. Now that's not a bad arrangement. Elephant yoga is notable given the size of the animals. The elephants at the zoo weigh between 7,000 and 11,000 pounds. 
Even the youngest comes in at 2,000 pounds. That's a lot of elephant doing the downward-facing dog. In addition to the beneficial exercise, each yoga session allows the trainers to check for painful movements or rashes. The result is better health and longer life. So don't be surprised if the next step is competitive sports for pachyderms. Due to popular demand from me, we turn once again to that ritual of humiliation and obscure knowledge called Stump the Older Old Dog. Oh, no. Yes, the Stumpy is the older old dog Jim Conlon, and the Stumper is the younger old dog Paul Menzel. Uh, that would be me. Our challenge today is from the Interesting Facts website. Jim, are you ready to meet the challenge? Absolutely not. Good. The subject for today is fascinating facts about the human body. Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> well, you got one. You should know about it. Right. Here's the first question. True or false? Once you reach middle age, you have a fixed number of brain cells and you can't grow new ones. Oh, that's false. You're right. That's false. You continue to form new brain cells until you die. Question number two, true or false? All people dream in full color. Oh, I've heard that's not true. Uh, I'm going to say false. What are you saying? Is I it say false. 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 Don't cite other people for your <laughs> shortcomings. You're right. The answer is false. 12% of people dream in black and white. Now, this is an interesting tidbit. People under the age of 25 almost never dream in monochrome, hmm. while members of the boomer generation and older dream in black and white roughly a quarter of the time. I bet I know why. Tell me why. <laughs> because they saw so many black and white movies. You're right. That's really the correlation <laughs> they've talked about. Here's question three. True or false? You are taller in the morning than you are at night. True. True. Due to gravity, you're roughly one centimeter shorter by the end of the day. And I feel that. I feel 10 centimeters shorter, actually. Oh, do you? <laughs> well, you often come up short, don't you? <laughs> Question four. True or false? Your eyes actually see things upside down. Yes, that is true. Yes, I've yeah, seen you're, the you're diagrams of thousand. that. Yeah. The cornea is a convex lens that projects what you see onto the retina upside down. Mm -hmm. Your brain has to interpret the image correctly. And finally, question number five, true or false? Your skull never stops growing. Oh, dear. <sighs> okay, well, it seems so unlikely that I'm going to say true. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Skulls never stop growing, and the bones in the skull also shift as we age. And, sir, your score is five out of five, and this is amazing. Uh, there should be a trophy, yeah, but do, I'm not going to buy one. I should get a prize. Maybe somebody out there in podcast land is going to give me a prize for this. Oh, man. <laughs> you know what I want? Some mother's ashes. <laughs> All right, duck. <laughs> Jackie Dryden had a successful career as an advertising agency creative director. 
Upon retirement, she turned her attention to her passion, sharing what our kids wish we knew. Jackie is the author of the unique parenting book, Just Me, What Your Child Wants You to Know About Parenting, 42 Bits of Advice from a Child's Perspective. Her straightforward approach puts her in high demand as a speaker. Her new parenting book, Unpush, Flipping the Script on Parenting, will be released in early 2024. This is part one of a two-part conversation. Where do we start with a person like Jackie Dryden? There are so many places we could start. Maybe with why you got into advertising, of all things. Well, when I went to college, I was an art major. And then I found out it took five years. And what was I going to do with it after that? So I looked around and I said, where else could I use my artistic talents? And I found uh, the School of Journalism at the time is what the advertising school was in at the University of Texas. So I joined that because it also didn't have a Spanish requirement. Got out, went through 50 interviews begging for a job, and finally ended up in my desired career. So you are a native Texan? Well, I lived in Texas from high school on, but up until there... I lived in about 15 different places. My dad was an algebraic topologist. And interesting right now with Einstein and Oppenheimer in the news, he studied with them at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton. Wow. I like to tell people I went to the Institute for Advanced Study nursery school. Mm-hmm. Legitimate, right? So we, <laughs> we lived in all different college towns all over the world, ended up in Texas. So kind of like an army brat, only an academic brat. Okay, Exactly. With yeah. a lot of people talking about things I couldn't understand. Well, that sounds right. like us. Yeah, <laughs> very similar. <laughs> very similar. You not only were uh, art director and creative director at various agencies, you also had your own agency for a while. It was really birthed out of a desire for design and ideas. And I was not the brightest bulb on all my teams. I had tried to hire people that were better copywriters, better art directors, better illustrators. And all I did was try to help them connect a concept to the audience they were talking to with the product or service. And I found great joy in that kind of brainstorming, throwing things out there and lifting people to be greater than they thought they could be stand on the sideline myself and cheer them on. After all of this experience in the industry, you've noticed a lot of changes. Uh, You've noticed, uh, especially in the past 20 years, how it's gotten away from what they call traditional media like radio, TV, and print, and into uh, online media. Well, it's a lot more segmented. We really had broadcast. Now it is much more narrow cast. We are looking at smaller and smaller segments. And the audience now has a voice. For the longest time, they were just kind of inert. We went out there and told them what things were, what they wanted, what they were like. Now they talk back. And there is a shift in the kind of listening. It's not now market research. It is in real time. People are telling you what they think about your products. They vote with social media showing up, clicking or not clicking, how long they engage. And I think it is um, more interesting in some ways, but more difficult in others. And the greatest flaw that I see 
is we are so now captured with other people telling us what they want that we have forgotten how to figure out how to give them what they don't know they need yet. Mm-hmm. So if we're constantly asking them, do you like this or like this or like this or like that? They don't know what they don't know. So that that joy of finding a product or service and a way of describing that lights people up, that they go, wow, I didn't even know that that existed. I need that, is, uh, is tempered a little bit with us trying to be so purposeful about listening to what everybody says and only reacting to that. Well, at some point, you retired from the advertising world. Was there a, a particular point that you said, I've had enough? Well, one was age, right? So I kind of worked it out until, until I was not as viable in the marketplace anymore. And I wanted to drop back a little bit to intrinsic motivation rather than pushing ideas and thoughts and products on people. And I wanted to get a little more authenticity to what I was talking about. Hmm. And what did that result in? Somewhere in the 90s, I started doing parenting talks with a child therapist and another mom. We did a thing called Two Moms and a Shrink. We had a working mom, a stay-at-home mom, and a child therapist. Mm. And we talked all over the country, and people kept telling me I had good insights, I should write a book. And I was like, I'm just me. You know, I'm just Jackie. I don't have any PhD, MD, you know, therapist, psychologist behind my name. I'm just a working mom, stepmom, now grandmother. But I realized that some of the problems that I was dealing with in advertising and talking to people and their motivations were seated in the stories that they started believing in childhood. And if if you want me to, I'll tell you a quick story on how it happened for me. Yes, please. So I'd been doing this speaking in the 90s and people kept telling me, write a book. And I was like, I tried to write, when you do this, and he and she and your son and your daughter and you and he and she and they, and it felt very inauthentic, and I just couldn't, I couldn't get the words out. And in 2004, I had a brain aneurysm. I was in the neuro ICU after surgery. And I was kind of making deals with God. You know, I was kind of in that stage where I was like, if this is it, I've had a great time. Thanks for the ride. Love on my family. Felt very at peace with that. But if I stay, let me know why I'm still here. I want something grander to attach to. I'm lying there. You know, you've got all the beeps and the pumps on everything and the tubes everywhere. You're just kind of this inert being there trying to heal. And it was as if someone had put chairs all around that hospital bed and put children in them. And they started talking to me. And I heard them say, tell our stories. Remind our parents what it's like to be a child. Tell them how we feel. And as soon as my brain started healing, I sat down and I wrote, dear mom and dad, this is what I'd like to tell you. And I listened to the children's voices, and I basically transcribed all the things I could think of that the children were telling me that they wish their parents knew. And that was kind of the beginning of this new chapter. Hmm. Fascinating. Wow. 
So, so the, this, whatever it was, this vision that you had in a hospital bed became the subject matter for your first book. Is that correct? It did. I, I wrote down 43 little one-page things that the kids said, from you be the boss, I don't know what I'm doing, to stop yelling and whisper, to I'm not your do-over. I mean, all of these things came through, and I heard them from first-person child's voice. Wow. And it became super simple. It just flew down on the page because it was coming from that, not from a place of teaching or telling anybody how to do anything. So do these imaginary characters share your royalties? Or- <laughs> <laughs> well, they haven't asked for it yet, but now that you've said it, they're probably coming for me. <laughs> Thanks for that, Paul. They, they, they have a life of their own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So what's been the result, Jackie? You've been talking about feedback, right? Consumer feedback. What's the result? I was kind of blown away. When this first book came out, I asked a friend of mine to do a press release, and things just lit up because it was a different vantage point. It was a different way of looking at parenting. Usually it's parent to parent, and we're telling each other what to do and how to do it. And this voice of the child was something new. So I started going on radio shows and TV shows and I was written about in magazines and this book just took off and I didn't push it beyond that. So for about four or five years, it was doing really well. I had to go and reprint it. And then I went back to my day job of advertising and did that for a while until this voice started getting stronger again and saying, excuse me, we're not done with you yet. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for Jim to have a question. I, I'm, I'm waiting for the voice. <laughs> well, you know, this is this is a very kind of mystical and spiritual motivation. Is this something you just tapped in after your hospital experience? Have you become more of a spiritual person? It was already there, but this certainly did strengthen my faith and strengthen my belief in that what we see and what we think is real is not as profound as what's moving through us. The greatest revelation that I personally had in doing this work was I had some severe trauma as a child and I had it locked away. And I had gone through therapy trying to uncover, get some, get some connection with it. But my greatest revelation was when I realized that my child's voice was one of the voices in the mix. So I was talking as well, but not as an adult, as a five-year-old. And I started to honor that voice as well and put it in the mix. And that was a huge moment for me to say, this wasn't just something external. This wasn't just me hearing other children's voices. It was me as well. Well, I, I can see how that that had uh, profoundly affected your writing, but has it profoundly affected your life also? Are you more sensitive to, uh, let's say, things that are more non-logical in our life? I think so. That, that's probably a good way to put it, Paul, because for me, what I discovered is that I am a child whisperer, for any better lack of any better word. When I see children... I also hear them, even if they're silent. I see the body language. I interpret the facial expressions, I, the actions, all of those things that are going on. I feel like I am 
completely connected with them. And there are so many times I'll be out in public and I'll see something happening in a dynamic in a family. And I'm just so tempted to walk over and tap one of the parents on the shoulder and go, excuse me, your child is trying to tell you something. And here's what it is. You get very weird looks if you do that. <laughs> That's right. not, I don't right. advise it. People don't welcome it. But if I say to them, I see something happening. Are you interested in knowing what it is? Even if I don't know them, I'm surprised with how many parents will say, yeah, what, what do you see going on? Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.